Hello, everybody. Josh Brown here, back for another great episode on Franchise Euphoria. Well, today's episode is brought to you by IndieFranchiseLaw.com, a leading resource in the franchise space to help you if you're considering buying a franchise, turning your business into a franchise, or growing your business through a licensing or franchise structure. So go on, check it out, IndieFranchiseLaw.com. I think you'll find a lot of valuable and free information as you continue to kind of weigh franchising and licensing and the growth of your business. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode. On today's episode of Franchise Euphoria, I'm thrilled to welcome Andrew Alfano. Andrew is the CEO of Retro Fitness, a leader in the high-value, low-price fitness space with more than 140 gyms open or under development in 15 states. Alfano joined Retro Fitness this past May with over 25 years of experience in the retail, hospitality, and restaurant industries to mature and drive the growth of the brand across the United States. A high-energy, driven leader, Alfano helped architect Starbucks' rapid and strategic growth in some of the more high-profile, complex urban markets, specifically the flagship market of New York. During his time, these markets saw record growth in same-store sales and profits. In addition, Alfano was a key member of the leadership team that helped lead the U.S. business out of the company's downturn in 2008. Uh, Andrew has a tremendous amount of background and experience, has a tremendous amount of passion, and he brings all of that uh, to the interview here today. So hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. And without further ado, here is my interview with Andrew Alfano. Hello, Andrew. Welcome to Franchise Euphoria. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Josh. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited to have you on. Actually, it's interesting. Over the years, I've had quite a few fitness franchises on. I'm not sure I've had anybody with the level of experience and background that you bring to the table. So I'm really interested and curious to talk with you, uh, not only about retro fitness, but to begin by just sort of getting some background on your experience in franchising in the retail space. Uh, well, you're, you're very kind. You're very kind. I actually started uh, my uh, career back in uh, food service. I'm a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America. So I was a chef before I got into operations and uh, quickly transitioned out front to uh, front of the house, uh, the business section, if you will. And as luck would have it, pretty early on in my career, I stumbled across a, a small little coffee uh, company you may have heard of, uh, Starbucks. And, I've uh, heard of them. <laughs> yeah. Old jokes aside, uh, it was so early in their maturity cycle. I actually had to explain to my wife uh, what Starbucks was. This was back in the late 90s. <laughs> yeah, they had uh, certainly done well in the Pacific Northwest, but it just really entered the Northeast. And uh, I joined them as a district manager and uh, worked my way up to senior vice president, U.S. business. And it was really one of those right place, right times, tremendous uh, experience, as you would imagine there, and a real pinch me career at Starbucks and uh, spent the better part of uh, you know, 60 years out of the 90s, took them through the 2000s and um, into 2015. And obviously there were you know, many, many, many people that helped build that company. But when you started with them, do you remember how many locations they had? And then when you finished, how many locations did they have? Yeah. So I want to say in the country, they were in the probably around 1500, give or take. But again, predominantly in the Pacific Northwest, down through California. I want to say they were in Chicago and might have entered the mid-Atlantic. They put their first location in New York, I want to say is 1995. And um, when I left, 
there was about 24,000 globally. Wow. Yeah. So at the time, we were really only one of three other companies that had done something like that. Subway was the leader. I think they had over 40,000 locations, followed by McDonald's that was in the 30,000s. And, and we were around, you know, again, in, in the 20,000s, which uh, just, again, an unbelievable experience, great opportunity. And to this day, I continue to harken back to so many of those experiences that uh, are so applicable today here at Retro Fitness and helping us get retro to a whole different place and certainly helping us get through the pandemic. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you go? So when you leave Starbucks, did you go over to retro or did you go a couple other places and then make your way to retro? How did you make the transition from there over to retro? Yeah, I had uh, left Starbucks and uh, really wasn't even sure if I was going to go back to you know quintessential work as I do the air quotes. And I was introduced to a, a small company that was based down in Boca. It was a franchise organization in uh, preschool of, of all things. Uh, so it's funny, you go from culinary to coffee to then kids and people ask the question, you know, how do you make that transition? And you know, the reality of it is, is if you're, you know, you're building high performing teams, you're driving revenue and you're helping redefine brand. And suddenly it sounded oddly familiar to what I had been doing forever and joined that company. Uh, the two founders, uh, the father, son, that the father was uh, retiring and they went through a transaction. They brought in a private equity firm who was looking for someone to come in and, and work with the CEO who was there at the time I joined as president and COO. And they were looking for a five-year horizon, like, like many private equity groups and looking for someone to help scale the business. And when I joined, they had about 130 operating uh, units in the country and took them through a transaction uh, about two years early. So it was about three and a half years in uh, double digit multiple. Everybody was very happy. And today they can boast of 400 units open or in development around the country, inclusive of uh, European expansion. So uh, it was, again, a great experience. Um, everybody did well, a wonderful family, wonderful people. And after the transaction, uh, I had left the learning experience and again, found myself uh, not really thinking I was going to go back to quintessential work. And literally the, the next day, the person who had introduced me to that organization had called and wanted to have coffee with me. And, and I thought she had heard that I had just uh, left and it was just coincidental. And she says, well, geez, what, what would you like to do now? And I said, well, I'm just going to take a break. And she says, well, if you didn't take a break, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I'd, I'd probably want to do what I just did. It was a ton of fun. It was a, a small company that was an inflection point looking to grow. And, you know, what I really love about franchising, which is different than we were at Starbucks, although there were many of the locations were licensed locations, which many people don't know. So of the 12,000 locations when I was there, 5,000 were corporate, 7,000 were licensed. So, um, you know, it's, it's in that world of franchising, but different when you're working with franchisees. Uh, it really gives you an opportunity to serve. I, I really enjoy the people aspect of it, helping people be successful, helping people create wealth situations for themselves, for their families, and, and just getting to know them. I mean, our franchisees, both my last company, but certainly here, uh, when I first joined, uh, one of the very first things I did was hit the road. And I went on, again, with the air quotes, the quasi listening tour, and I went and met with franchisees in their clubs. And what I thoroughly enjoy, you get to meet them, you get to meet their family, you get to hear their goals, their aspirations. And it's, it's one of the great things about franchising. And I, I really just thoroughly enjoy it, but really more importantly, the, the people component. No, that's great. And so when you, when you joined up with and became the CEO of Retro Fitness, how many units did they have at that time? 
Uh, we had about 100, just about what we have right now, actually, just um, about 140 units open or in development. And again, the company, very similar to uh, my prior company, it was no question at an inflection point. I came in and, and, and since then, I'm there about a year. We have a brand new executive team. Uh, we have a new strategy, new vision for the organization. We're getting a lot of attention and a lot of interest from private equity and family offices as we've now moved to offering area development and territories. You know, coming from rapid growth like Starbucks, you know, one would think, okay, so what's the size of the prize? And very similar to my last company, I, I really don't focus on rapid growth as much as I focus on thoughtful growth. And uh, you know, we know what the white space is. We know that in the HVLP space for fitness, which is the space that we play in, we know we have the opportunity probably for around you know, 2,000 locations. Uh, I, I don't believe that is uh, our destiny and we're not chasing a number. So we're not private equity or majority ownership is a family office. And we're certainly not public like the number one club count, which would be Planet Fitness. They have over 2,000 locations. And as I share, they are a public company in answer to a different God. Uh, you know, they yeah. have to they, <laughs> they have to chase store count. They have no choice. Um, we do yeah, have a choice. Exactly. So you know, we, I really look at this as, you know, it is thoughtful growth. Uh, we know the emerging markets that we want to go to. We know the opportunities in those markets. And I've always let the market and the demographics speak to me as opposed to forcing the number and trying to get X amount of locations into a particular area. And I've seen through the years, so many organizations, big and small, really lose their way when you start chasing store counts. So we're in thoughtful growth mode. We really like our model. We really like our positioning. And despite the pandemic, uh, we're actually coming out of this quite healthy, ready to run and ready to run hard. So tell me, tell me about your model. I mean, it's it's in line with what like a Planet Fitness would do, right? I mean, you know, as you say, high value, lower price point to get in. But what I always like to do on the podcast, because obviously it's an audio podcast instead of a video, is have the guest, if you could, for people who are listening who haven't heard of Retro Fitness or haven't been inside one, give a sense for what it looks like, feels like when you go into a location. Yeah, sure. I appreciate that opportunity. Uh, so we do play in what's called the high value, low price space of fitness. Uh, for those that are looking to get into the fitness industry, whether it be franchising or just want to learn more, there's really four segments. And what seems on the surface like a very crowded space, and certainly was my impression when I first started doing my diligence, what you quickly learn is the fitness sector or fitness industry is divided really into four sectors. You have the boutique gyms, which are the uh, Orange Theories, Pilates, Soul Cycles, if you will. Uh, they're not our competition. They're not necessarily in our space. Another sector would be the high value, high price guys. Those are the, the equinoxes, the country club gyms, if you will. Those two are not necessarily our competition, completely different consumer. You have the big box gyms. So you have the LA fitnesses, and those are the mid-price guys. Their, their pricing tends to be... $49, $59, $69 a month. They are very large, impersonal, uh, and that's not a knock. That's certainly not looking to slight them. They've done a wonderful job and I have a lot of respect for them. Uh, so let me certainly establish that. <laughs> um, but you know, they're, they're also corporate owned. And then you have the space that we play in, the high value, low price. And as we shared, you know, Planet Fitness has the most clubs, followed by Crunch. And then uh, we're actually the third largest high value, low price club in the country. And I think one of our points of differentiation from some of the others that play in this space is we truly do deliver the high value. So we are not 
you know, our cardio against your cardio, our machines against your machines. We actually have um, all of the classes that the boutique gyms offer for the low price, $19.99 and or $29.99. Those are our two price points. Uh, we have personal training, which others don't offer. Um, we have certainly best-in-class uh, machines and equipment. We have a smoothie bar. And what's most important from a point of differentiation is we are all individually owned and operated. So unlike the big corporate chains where it's just the employee behind there, the small business owner is a franchisee. And most of our franchisees live and work in the communities that they serve. So I think one of the things you really feel upon entering a retro fitness is aside from all the accoutrements and the classes and the personal training and the smoothie bar and everything I just shared, you really get this sense of belonging, this sense of community. And that is really what attracted me to retro. And as retro fitness grew and we're celebrating our 15 year anniversary this year, it really, every town it went into, it became the hometown gym. And it became a hometown gym because of our fantastic franchisees, who again are small business owners. And they build a community inside the four walls of their clubs. But more importantly, they also become a fabric of the community outside the four walls of the clubs. And it really just makes for you know, a great relationship. And I think that's been a huge part of our success. That is something that we're going to continue to lean in heavily on is that relationship with our members. And I'll speak about members. That's also something else that we do differently is we actually want you to come to our clubs. You know, we, we don't track necessarily, <laughs> and it's well documented in some, some gyms um, that they know that 80% you know, don't come to their clubs. Well, yeah. I mean, they know if they set the price low enough, most people are going to pay and forget about it. And God forbid they actually show up because they'd run out of space, wouldn't have enough equipment. That's right. That's right. So, you know, we really want our members to come to the club. We have relationships with our members. And we also recognize, especially now here we are during the pandemic, we really want to help people make and not want to help make, we help people make a difference in their lives with health and wellness which is also a key differentiator for us. So since I've gotten here, we have invested heavily in technology. So as an example, one of the things that many people don't realize is the average gym goer, not the super average, but the average gym goer, we really only get at the club three and a half to four hours a week. And that's three or four times, 45 minutes to an hour, give or take. And really what happens for you on a health and wellness journey, health and wellness is happening all the time. Whether you're taking the steps instead of the elevator, it could be what you're cooking tonight. So we have invested heavily in technology and we want to take the fitness journey with our members throughout their entire day, throughout their entire week. So one of the ways that you can interact with us is through our app, which is free right now during the pandemic. Because we also recognize that health and wellness has a tremendous positive impact on mental health and you know, anxiety and depression, especially now during the pandemic. Uh, we have cooking classes. We have nutrition classes. So I think that's, again, how do we take the, the brick and mortar, create an extension, and different than what has been occurring in the fitness industry for all of these years is we really want to focus on the consumer's engagement with our brand and not just a gym member coming in to work out, which I think historically is what gyms get known for. So uh, we're about the brand. Um, we are certainly you know, about innovation and technology. And we really, again, like our positioning, whether you're an investor looking to buy a franchise or whether you're a member uh, looking to find a, a good gym and people that care about you. 
So what type of franchisee are you guys looking for? I mean, are you are you looking for an area developer, a multi-unit operator? And then more specifically, I mean, what, what kind of experience do you ideally want somebody or a group to bring to the table when they come in? Sure. So we have we have two types. Uh, we do have the owner operator, and then we also have the investor. And what I would share with people who want to get into franchising is the hybrid version does not work on on any level. There's been a number of people through the years that have tried to keep uh, you know their day job and well I'm going to stop by whether it be the restaurant or you know the the gym or the school whatever you're franchising you know in the evenings on the weekends and that hybrid model does not work. So we do have an owner operator model. Uh, and we also have an investor model. And that's how we just brought a franchisee on uh, a couple of weeks ago. Even during the pandemic, we continue to sign franchise agreements, which is really wonderful. That's great. And says a lot about the direction that we're in. But they have a job and they say, listen, I, I just want to make an investment. I've been tracking the growth and maturity of retro fitness over the course of the last 12 months. They've seen the changes in infrastructure and the change with the executive team uh, was very interested and, and they don't want to operate it. And we can help in instances that someone wants to be an investor, we can help get an operating partner for that person. In this instance, they already had a general manager they were going to bring in. But yeah, we also have different types. So we have the single unit, which is what this gentleman just purchased as an investor, or for the mom and pops. We have the multi-unit package, which for us, multi-unit starts at four. And then we also have, uh, which is new over the course of the last, uh, I would say, 12 months, is area development and territories. And like I shared, we've been getting a lot of attention from private equity and family offices. Uh, matter of fact, Baird and Company, uh, which is a big financial house who had been watching Retro for many years, um, has really taken a keen interest in what we're doing as of late and invited myself and my executive team to be hosted for a town hall. There was over 100 private equity groups, RSVP, to participate uh, in that town hall to hear about the journey that we're on. So uh, that's very flattering. Uh, we're, we're honored. It's humbling. I do think that we have made tremendous progress in a very short period of time. Matter of fact, this past January was the best January in the history of the company, not even January over January, the best January in the history of the company. So very proud of the team, very proud of the franchisees and really looking forward to the future. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I've been in franchising a long time, mostly as a franchise lawyer, you know, for the last 12 to 14 years. But then even prior to that, I worked for a couple of different franchise groups. And one of the interesting things about franchises is that, you know, a franchisor can do well, can do very well, in spite of the fact that a lot of their franchisees may not be doing as well, but they're doing well just on the multiple of getting the volume. And what I like about what you're saying is, is you guys are taking a thoughtful approach, making sure you're getting the right people in there and focusing on each franchisee doing well, as opposed to just expediting the growth. And, you know, for those tuning in who are contemplating becoming franchisees or even turning their business into a franchise. I mean, I think it's it's a very important point to think about that a lot of people don't think about until after the fact that that is, you know, the the relationship between the franchisee and the franchisor is really a partnership. And it really needs to be something mm -hmm. where both are working together. I'd be curious, you know, with with your experience and your background, you know, a lot of people who tune in to this show are contemplating turning their business into a franchise and then growing the franchise. And one of the most interesting and challenging things for any franchise system is to grow and to grow thoughtfully, like you said, 
how do you do that? What's the sort of secret sauce to do that? I mean, are you guys really particular on the backgrounds, like you said, um, mm-hmm. or are, are there other things that go into it? Because I think people go in oftentimes with those intentions, but somewhere along the way, they get caught in the rat race of trying to outgrow their competition. Yeah, it's a quandary. The streets are littered with people who have attempted to you know, be successful and have failed because either they didn't do their homework, why they were getting into that business in the first place was for the wrong reasons. So before you turn your business into a franchise system, um, I, I really think it has to be within you, no different than what I shared earlier. As a franchisor, it is your responsibility to serve. It is your responsibility to provide the tools, the resources, the support, and you're taking exactly what you shared, which is you know extremely insightful. It, it's a partnership, and you are taking this journey with people who arguably have taken out a sizable loan, in some instances have taken out a second a mortgage on their home, are investing in something other than their home itself is the most expensive investment they've ever made. This is a really big deal. This is a really sure. big deal. And it's a and long-term deal. It's a long-term yeah, deal too. That's right. You know, so I, I think, you know, the thoughtfulness, the sensitivities that are associated with needing to be a good leader in a franchise organization is critically important. And subsequently, who you surround yourself with, not only internally on the corporate side, which is something certainly something that I look for, um, but also franchisees that you bring into the system. And I suspect your very first franchisee, you're probably ecstatic that anybody at all would want to invest in you, which is wonderful. <laughs> but if you are that first franchisee, you're Next biggest concern other than your business is who else is coming in as a franchisee because you're now growing a brand and consistency within a brand is is critically important. And that other franchisee is not your competition. Matter of fact, the value of your business is also in the value of their business and who the franchisor brings into the system. You know, all boats must rise at the same time. And, you know, it's that, that old adage that, you know, one bad apple in the bushel, you know, spoils the whole thing. And you know it, it's critically important. So one of the things that I implemented as soon as I came in, well, one, we restructured and we have a whole new executive team with very talented people, very, very talented people. Matter of fact, our head of operations was the former COO of Golds, uh, former COO of one of the largest Planet Fitness franchises. Uh, our head of marketing and brand worked with world-class brands around the globe. Uh, these are not folks that are just getting into this because it seemed like a good idea. This was a very thoughtful approach. Um, they knew I had just made a change. The organization, they're ready to you know, build a brand, which is really the journey that we're on. This is the long game for us. But when you're working with franchisees and you're bringing them in, and I shared this at our first convention this past October, beyond the financial requirements, and I, I would never be dismissive of money. It's obviously very important. That's why people get into this. But money is the easy part. What you really have to make sure is, are they a good cultural fit? Is this someone who really embodies the core values and the culture of the organization that you're looking to build? Because in absence of that, you know, th- that's the foundation. 
That is truly the foundation. So we've spent a lot of time over the course of the last 12 months uh, with our new team, helping define what that is. I will tell you that nobody signs a franchise agreement unless the entire executive team meets with them. And both obviously you have to have the financial requirements, which I've already shared, but we spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of personal time trying to get to know these people, what their goals are. And that's obviously the individuals, but I have the same conversations with private equity. You know, a lot of private equity comes, you know, they come with a lot of money and they come with a lot of horsepower. And, you know, I, I respect that. But in the same vein, you know, we're looking for good business partners. That is really important to us because ultimately it just becomes the short game. And, and you don't make, as a franchise, or you don't make any money on one agreement, right? It, it's all of them together and it's the growth. And if, in fact, you are in the long game, culture and core values is just important. So I will tell you, that's not part of what we do. That, that is what we do. That is our strategy. In finishing up here in the last couple of minutes, I'd love to hear, you know, obviously we're still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Things seem like they're opening up. Still a lot of concern about whether there's going to be a bounce back, how things are going to go, whether it's going to, you know, with, with more people opening up and relaxing some of the restraints and requirements, what that's going to look like. What are you guys doing? What have you done uh, with Retro Fitness to not only deal with this pandemic now, but I'm curious if it's impacted how you look at your long-term growth or different ways in which uh, you offer services or working with the franchisees. Yeah, this is certainly unprecedented times. Uh, I think for everyone, you know, we heard about it in the news uh, in January. February is when I would say we felt the winds of change. And uh, no different than what I shared earlier in our conversation was hearkening back to my days at Starbucks. Uh, we went through a, a lot of crisis. We went through the downturn uh, we, as we'd entered different markets uh, around the globe. You were dealing with crisis all the time. And one of the very first things that you learn in crisis, it's crisis management 101, is communicate early and communicate often. In the end of February, what we started doing was battening down the hatches. We started modeling out uh, all different scenarios of what could possibly occur including worst case scenario, but to be fully transparent, even our worst case scenario modeling did not include zero revenue from months on end. Yeah, it did. It but, did include a, full, a complete <laughs> shutdown of everything, did it? No, no. Uh, I'll, I'll be completely honest with that one. You know, but what we did do was we put together a coronavirus task force that included both corporate personnel, but it also included franchisees. We include franchisees in, in our conversations, in our committees. We're, we're very transparent. Uh, in what's going on in the organization. I think that's been a nice, refreshing change you know, for the franchisees. And what I did in the beginning of March when we first started hearing about, we highly recommend you close, was coming in from different local authorities. And the first one was in Pennsylvania. We had four clubs and we had notified, got notified, we highly recommend you close. And then in March, as everybody knows, it moved very quickly. The dominoes started falling quickly. But with franchisees, again, these are all small business owners. Owners. Cash is king. And they were very concerned about what was happening in the world around us. So what I did, and it's one of the things that I do regularly, is I did a video message, an internal PSA from myself to the franchisees. This was back in early March. And I said, if in fact, this does go worst case scenario, we're going to go through this together. And we're going to go through this in partnership. So if in fact, you are mandated to close, we are going to waive, not defer, we are going to waive all royalties, all fees, all ad fund. 
I don't know a franchise system out there that did that to that extent. I heard a lot of the deferring of everything. And in our organization, you do have minimum royalties. So even if they weren't collecting revenue, uh, we would still have had, had I not waived it, uh, a minimum royalty. But what I wanted them to do is I wanted them both personally be able to focus on their families and not worry about it, but at the same time, know that we were in this together. So we made that announcement. I also shared, if in fact you do remain open, stop spending your marketing dollars. We will take care of that for you as well. And we've been doing that all through the uh, pandemic. And one might say, well, geez, you know, how could you even afford to do that? But going back to, you know, you really have to err on the side of people and you have to be, you're either a franchisor that serves your franchisees or you're not. It, it, it's not one or the other. It's, it's you are, or you aren't. And um, I, I just said, we, we can't afford not to because these people were just not in the position to weather a storm, whether it be for one month, two months, what is now going to be almost four months, we breached the 100-day mark where in the state of New Jersey, we, we still have clubs, 53 clubs that are still not open. That's painful. I mean, there are not just in fitness, not just at retro fitness, but you'll have people who have, you know, not going to be able to open their business back up. Some may never recover ever. You know, this and this not a that's not a retro fitness comment. That's that's just small business owners are really struggling. So I wanted to do everything that I could within my power. Uh, we kept our our staff on, continued to work with our franchisees with webinars before they are allowed to reopen. And we do have clubs open to the, right now. We have 14 clubs open around the country. We have certified before they open. We certify that every club has met all new health and sanitation standards. We put webinars together and have retrained all employees that they now are able to you know, work within a, a new COVID you know, arena, if you will, for, for the clubs. And we put together what you would hope we would, obviously following all local and state regulations in the form of social distancing and sanitation and truthfully fitness. And we've had this conversation a couple of times uh, with some other interviews is that we really feel that fitness is in a far better position than many other industries to provide a safe environment. And you hear a lot of the politicians have different varying views. I think Ron DeSantis was probably the most progressive in this and, and helped get our clubs open. But, you know, it's not going to help you get uh, or avoid Corona by being healthy. But if, if in fact you are healthy, uh, you're probably going to get through it. Okay. Uh, it's really the people with the pre-existing conditions and, it's clear that, you know, the unfortunate part, some people have, in fact, been dealt a bad hand and a pre-existing condition was imposed on them. But truthfully, most pre-existing conditions are a result of not having been focused on health and wellness. So we don't see the gyms not necessarily as not being third or fourth phase. We actually think they are the most essential and the government should really be promoting fitness and getting these gyms back open. Well, I think it's interesting. There's two things as we finish up. One is that, you know, one of the, I would say, silver linings, at least for me, and I know a whole lot of people I talk to is, you know, I've been working remotely now for the last three and a half months. And even before then, I was set up to work remotely. And a couple of interesting things, one of which I, I really enjoy it. But one of the reasons I really enjoy it, and you've probably heard this, is because I have more control over my day. And I literally work out every single day now, whereas before I would have the intention of working out. But, you know, I've got three kids. You don't do mm -hmm. it in the morning. You get to mm -hmm. the office. It's the middle of your day. It's like, oh, do I want to go work out? Then where am I going to shower? I mean, it's like all these things, these obstacles. But when you're working remotely, 
you just do it. And so I've developed the habit now over several months and you multiply me times a whole bunch of people. And I think you're going to see there's a whole lot of folks who have now over this time built up that habit, which would translate well for obviously gym memberships and so forth. But number two is there's just going to be a lot of ripe opportunities. I mean, the fact of the matter is there's just going to, there's a whole, unfortunately, there's a whole lot of businesses that aren't going to be in a position to sustain this. And so it's going to leave an opportunity for folks like, you know, retro fitness and others to come in and I think really take advantage and, and, and both in perhaps helping other people who can't make it and buying them out of a position and then also helping themselves and grow. So I think you guys are, it sounds like you're well positioned as we continue to work through this COVID-19 pandemic, but it, it certainly seems to me and it probably does to you that there's, there's light on the other end of the, the end of the horizon. I mean, I'm certainly sensing that in my own world. Yeah, we, we, you know they're going to get open, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, but to your point, we we feel that not only is fitness uh, not going away, fitness, in fact, may be more relevant than ever because after the pandemic, yeah, I agree. Right, and after every news station, every politician saying, really, it's it's the elderly and the people with pre-existing conditions. If you're not going to get healthy now, uh, you're probably never going to get healthy. <laughs> so yeah, again, it's like fit- I better get off my ass and do something, right? <laughs> I better get off my ass and actually go work out. I've been talking about it for ten years. I might as well go do it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so both for members, we do think there's a great opportunity for uh, you know increased uh, membership at Retro Fitness, but also for people that are going to be out of work. I mean, there's a there's a real reality to people who have gotten themselves into junior executive or executive positions, and they've been eliminated over the course of the last 12 weeks. So you'll have some folks out there that have made enough money uh, that they can invest, but not necessarily enough money they can go retire. And I think that's where franchising um, has, has been something in our country that has been the antidote for, you know, buy yourself a job for a very long time. And, you know, if in fact you are going to get into franchising, you know, what type of industry do you want to get into? Well, you know, the restaurant sector has been going through an inflection point now for a number of years, especially with the millennials, you know, who want their food now. They want it from a farm. They want it delivered to them. You know, so that that whole industry is trying to figure itself out. You have the Amazon effect that has really put a dent into retail, which also has been very franchise friendly for many years. And then you have fitness. It's a $30 billion industry, even pre-pandemic. It's an industry that was going to be growing 20% over the next five years. And I think you know, if, in fact, there is going to be an economic correction of some kind, which inevitably there will be, if you're going to get into fitness, you really want to play in the high-value, low-price space. And I appreciate, again, all the things my franchisees have done with us over the course of the last 12 months. I appreciate the things my executive team and corporate team have done in partnership with the broader group to affect change. Uh, it has really positioned us well, nobody expecting a pandemic, but you know, timing is everything. And I think that January, February helped us um, you know, prepare and we were able to do things for our franchisees that had this been another point in time, we arguably would not have had the resources to do it. But we're gonna come out of this, uh, we're coming out of this healthy, uh, we're ready to run and we're ready to run hard. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you, Andrew, for sharing you know your experience and educating us on, on retro fitness. And it sounds like a, a great brand with a bright future. And I really appreciate you spending a few minutes out of your day and, and coming on to the show. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I really appreciated the time. 
Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed the podcast in general, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. It really helps to get this podcast out to more and more people. So the easy way to do it is go to iTunes and in the search box, put in Franchise Euphoria. You will then see my cover art and you click on my smiling face that says Franchise Euphoria and then click on the link that says Ratings and Reviews. It's that simple, but boy, oh boy, does it mean the world to me when people leave ratings and reviews. And like I said, it really helps get the show out there. Once again, would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave a rating and review if you enjoyed this episode or other episodes of the show. And until the next time, happy franchising.